Good to, good to have them up there, Brother Len. Luke chapter 16, if you'd uh, take your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 16 and verse 1 and stand with me as you turn. And, and uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Luke chapter 16. Just want to look at lessons from a thief. And lessons from a thief out of Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. It says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved that to do that when I am put out of thy stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and he said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard of these things, and they derided them and said unto them, Ye are they which justify, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the scripture that you've given to us. I, I think of the scripture where you said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction in, in righteousness or instruction in righteousness. And what I'm thankful for a book that applies to our everyday living. And I pray that tonight that you would teach us from your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our heart and feed us tonight from the scripture. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be it. I'm thankful for a practical book, aren't you? I'm thankful for a doctrinal book. It settles our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that I can turn to this book and I can see what Christ did for me at Calvary. I can see my salvation is settled and I, I have a hope in heaven. I'm thankful that I can see the doctrines of the Holy Spirit and the scripture and all of those things that settle a, a position in our life. But the Bible doesn't end in a position, does it? It, it rolls into a practice. And uh, that because of a position, I love how Paul would, God would inspire Paul to write his epistles. In the, in the epistles, you would see, first of all, Paul would go on about the doctrine and our position in Christ. And then as he concluded about midway through many of those epistles, he would run right into the practice of the Christian life and how to live it. And this book is a practical book on how to live life. But it also gives us some, some glimpses into the future and this, the hope of, of God's word. It, it lays something out in front of us that we have a Savior we're going to see one day. And we're going to see him someday, and, and he's coming. And uh, this passage of Scripture speaks to the practical things of life. There is nothing in our life that the God doesn't have something to say on in his word. And whether it's the home or the way we work or our finances or whatever it is, you name it, God's word has something to say on it. And in this passage of Scripture, the Lord gives some incredible lessons on the stewarding of the financial things of our life. And he uses this story of the unjust steward and a man who was wasting the funds of, his, of, his, of the owner of, the, of these things, the rich man, and he was the steward of it, and he was wasting it and stealing it, not a, 
not a fellow you'd, you, you would look to with respect at all. And uh, obviously the owner would come to him and said, you have been wasting what I have given and you are no longer going to be a steward. And so he made a decision. He said, you know what, I, if I'm going to be fired by him, I, I don't want to dig. I don't want to work hard. And I'm certainly not going to beg. So how can I make friends of those that are without? And so he would go to those that owed his master money, and he'd say, let's make a deal. You owe, uh, you owe 100. He would say 100 measures of oil. He said, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And he said, we'll call it even. Then he said to another, how much owest thou? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take thy bill and write four score. He knew what they could afford, and he made a deal with them with, for what they could afford. And then his master would begrudgingly comment in verse 8, And the Lord commended the unjust steward, saying, Because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. God didn't say, didn't in this illustration said that he did right. He just did wisely. He was shrewd in what he did. And he prepared something without. And the Lord would comment on this, that even though this man was wrong, he was shrewd, and that he cared for his tomorrow. He had a little bit of forward look. God didn't commend him for the way he did his business, but he recognized the man had a, a forward look to tomorrow. What am I going to do when I lose what I have today? I've been given a job. I've wasted what I've had. I've wasted the master, but tomorrow's coming. How can I make a deal that my tomorrow is sure? And he worried about his tomorrow in this world. And God would use an illustration, and we'll look at it here in a minute, that he was shrewd in that he looked ahead. For the Christian, we're not looking for ahead just for this life, are we? We're looking into eternity. We have a glimpse that goes a whole lot further than tomorrow or next week, but it runs over into eternity. And God commented on this man and used this parable to tell him this man was shrewd in some ways that he looked forward. And I'm going to look at some of these things tonight, but I, I think there's some practical principles to keep in mind before we come to what God speaks about finances. And one of them is that God is interested in how we secure our money. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12, it says, "...and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands." I had to memorize that when I was a kid. My mom used to say that to us. There was nine of us. She said, "...and that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands." She thinks she used it as a biblical grounds for the words, "...mind your own business, all right? Quit meddling others' affairs and just do your own business, all right?" But it, Paul would say, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Paul was commending those, church, those Christians at Thessalonica and he said, work hard for your life, have, with your life, have a good testimony without. He would say again in 2 Thessalonians, in his second letter to them, he said, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he what? Eat, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that they with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Evidently, there was some slothful people who did a whole lot of talking and not, not much laboring. And I'm surprised they didn't have social media back then, right? And they were doing a whole lot of this and not much working, all right? And he said, be quiet. Get busy, go to work, and uh, the Lord cares about the way we labor in this life. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, thou slugger, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. God calls us to labor. You know, Christians should be known for their labor. 
God calls us to be folks who work and to labor. And I, I think as a, as a kid, my mom would say, quote the verse to us, my dad would quote it as well. Uh, it's, it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, labor. God commends the Christian for their labor. And Paul would write those churches and he'd say, you, you need to have a testimony of a labor. I, I think one thing that goes a long way to witnessing in a secular world is your work ethic. Is your work ethic. The world respects hard-working people. And, uh, you know, I would work for a steel company and in construction up until I was, uh, you know, was, wasn't in full-time ministry till later and often part-time, and we would work in those places. And I tell you what they would respect is, is hard work. Christians should be known for their labor. And uh, God cares about the way we make our living. He would talk about riches gained hastily. And we live in a world when people want to make things quickly and hastily and rather than to labor for it. And God puts value on the one who works hard in their life. God is interested in how we save our money. Proverbs 21.20 says this, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. The Lord would commend the man who would save and prepare for tomorrow. The Bible said, a prudent man foreseeth the evil, but the simple pass on and are, are what? Punished. You know, God doesn't expect us not to save for some of the things of life. Now, he does frown upon hoarding, doesn't he? I think of the man that God would speak of the man that would fill his barn and then he'd say, you know what, I'm going to build a bigger barn <laughs> and I'm going to keep building bigger barns and gathering and gathering and gathering. The Lord will say, thou fool, I'm going to require thy soul of thee tonight. God frowns heavily upon hoarding, but he is for saving. He is for people and Christians who work hard and labor and save for tomorrow, not spending more than they have earned, but being wise with what God has given them in their life. God commends that. God cares about the way we work and we secure our money. He is interested in how we save our money. He's interested in how we spend our money. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, or 7 through 10 says, for we, bought, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall in temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. God cares about how we spend our money. And, uh, you know, we brought nothing into this world. He would say, you can take nothing out. He said to learn to be content with the things that God has. You know, there, there is peace in contentment. I remember the preacher who would say, uh, you know, the best way to be content is to want what you have. But when you want all the things that God haven't given you, you lose your contentment in the Christian life. God cares about our labor. He wants us to be hardworking people. He cares about our saving. He, he cares about our spending of our money. Are we wise? Are we considering eternity in the way we, we spend what he has given to us? God is interested in how we share our money. In Malachi 3, 8 through 10, it says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we, have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that they may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God cares how we share our money. He cares about how we secure our money, how we save our money, how we spend our money, and certainly how we share our money. God cares about these things, not because he cares about our money. 
but because he cares about us. God doesn't need nor want our money, but he does want us. And he knows this about us. Where your treasure is, there will your what be also? Heart. He knows this about us. When we have those things, when he has those things, he has us. And so he, he cares about these things. He knows that we live in this world. And he would even tell his disciples in Luke chapter 22. And he had said at one time when he sent them out, I think it's Luke chapter 10 or chapter 11, not to bring their script or their purse or not to worry about any of those things. The Lord was going to take care of them. But in Luke chapter 22, he would send them out. He'd say, now you better take your provision. As a matter of fact, he would look at the fellows and he'd say, does anybody here have a sword? And he said, if you don't, sell your coat and buy a sword. He told them to get a sword, to get their wallet, make sure they had those things because they were going to face some opposition in this life. God recognizes the world in which we live and wants us to live with wisdom in the world in which we live, caring about how we secure our money in a way that is, brings honor and glory to the name of Christ and saving in a way that brings honor to his name, spending in a way that demonstrates a recognition of eternity and the things of value and, and sharing the money that God has intended us, whether it's through tithes, he would speak of tithes, really going all the way back into Genesis, a first fruit that, that would be offered up and then Abraham and, and Jacob both and then confirmed in the law, the Lord Jesus Christ would conform it again in the Gospels, and, and he would speak of that. He'd speak in Matthew chapter 6 of almsgiving, that's that benevolence giving, and not letting your left hand know what your right hand doeth, but rather caring for those that are around you. He would speak of missions giving in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and Philippians chapter 4, and he would speak about giving in various ways, recognizing that God cares how we share and spend for an eternity. In this passage of Scripture, the Lord uses a man that doesn't seem to have much in the way of scruples. But he did have this. He was looking toward tomorrow. He knew that his future in the moment was in jeopardy. How do I provide and look ahead to tomorrow? And the Lord would use this scrupulous man and say, there are some things that can be taught, these lessons from this man's life. And here are some of them that the Lord would draw our attention to is a reception to consider. Look at verse 9. As soon as he, he would say in verse 8, And the Lord commended the unjust steward, saying, Because he hath done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. In verse 9, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. Now the key is there, it says, When, when ye fail, they may receive you into what? Everlasting habitation. He's looking ahead. Friend, there's coming a day in which we enter into the eternal and we leave behind all of this temporal. Isn't that what he's saying? He said, there's coming a day, friend, when all of these temporal things that you and I have, they're going to fade away. When ye fail. You know, there's a time appointed unto man once to die and after this, the what? The judgment. One day this body of mine is going to fail. One day our time is going to be up. This man recognized that his time was about to be up. He was about to lose. And so he tried to make a bargain in his life to prepare for his tomorrow. And in this passage of Scripture, the Lord is reminding us there's coming a day. And he says this in verse 9. And, and I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Use what you have in this life wisely. That when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. He says, friend... None of us can take anything out of this life, but we can deposit what God has given us in this life in the way that we use it, in a way that matters for an eternity. 
Friend, God has equipped us with different things in our life, from our time to our talents to our finances. And one day, everything that I have, will, my life will fail and I will leave it all behind. But the way in which I use it matters as to whether I have transferred anything into my account in glory. There is coming a day when I am exiting this world and I will see my Savior. And depending upon what I do with my finances, my time, and my talents depends on whether everything stays here and fades away and I'm saved yet so as by fire or whether I have transferred anything into eternity that I might lay at the feet of my Savior. And he said, there is a man here in this unscrupulous man that in spite of his, his poor scruples, he, he at least looked ahead to his tomorrow. At least in the moment when he was confronted, you're about to lose your job because you have wasted what is here. He said, how can I make a bargain with these people around me that when I lose this this place and this position, I'll have another one to go to. And God commended them in this respect. There's something for the Christian to learn that if we're not careful, we will hold so tightly to the things of this world that we will transfer nothing into eternity. In Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust are corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust is corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look, we, we have financial things that we received in our life and I should use them in a way that brings honor and glory to him. I should work hard in my life. I should save accordingly, but not hoard. I should spend wisely, and I should share generously. And I, I don't know about you, but I, last time I checked in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, speaking of this missions giving, said that we might have fruit that abounds to our what? Account. What is that? That's a transfer. As I give toward a missionary going, I am transferring what I have received in this life into the eternal in some soul that I'll see walking on the streets of glory because of my faithfulness and my giving. There is a call to recognize that there are temporal things, but the way that we use them here will matter as to whether they are transferred into eternity. Randy, I don't know about you, but I would like every dollar in my wallet to be used in a way that transfers it in eternity. And I think that is through my giving. I think it's through my spending. I think as I concern myself with even spending in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord, whether it's for the things that matter, that it, that it can be transferred into eternal. I think you can transfer your labor when you walk out of here next week and the way you work and the way you te your testimony in your workplace in such a way that it will matter for an eternity. What is your testimony? The Lord would, would commend, would use this unscrupulous man. And he said, at least he had the wisdom and the shrewdness to realize he was losing some, a position. And if he would have something in the future, he had to make some trades. But unfortunately, so many times we cling too tightly to the things of this world that we never make the trade into what matters for eternity. And he said, here's the principle as you consider whether it is the way you work or the way you save or the way you spend or the way you share, is this right here. There is a reception that is coming. What will be waiting for me on the other side as a result of the way I've lived my life here? There is a reception that is coming. 
The Bible would say in Corinthians, he said, some will be saved, yet so as by fire. Nothing left. They'll just be there. Because they never made the transfer. They never made the change. There is a reception to consider. There is a faithfulness to practice. Look at verse 10 through 12. He'd say, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. We use that that often, but look at what he's speaking of. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that is what is least, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The Lord would say this, if we can't be unfaithful with the physical least things of life, what do we ever expect that we will receive the things of true riches, that which matter for an eternity? God calls us to be faithful in what he says is the least of things, the mammon of life, so that we might inherit that which is true riches, the things that matter for all of eternity. A faithful practice. The Lord says be faithful in this practice of life that there are temporal things that God has given to us and he does not ignore our need for them. We, we need food, we need shelter, we need raiment. These things are, we recognize that we need them and God does not plan for us to do without them. But he does want us to use them in a way that matters for an eternity and to be faithful with the least things of life that we might enjoy, enjoy the true eternal riches of heaven. That we might enjoy the true blessings of a Savior that is pleased and souls that are in glory and rewards waiting that we may lay them at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a faithfulness to practice. There's a faithfulness to consider in the way that I use the time that God has given me, am I using it in a way that will matter for an eternity or am I using it only in a way that will matter for the temporal? And if I'm not faithful in that which is least, I will miss out on the true riches, that which is eternal. Am I faithfully practicing these things when it comes to my finances or my talents in a way that I am faithful with that which is least, the physical things of this life, that I might enjoy that which is the greatest, the things that matter for an eternity. Our Lord's teaching these, these folks, his disciples, and those are not just his disciples. You see here in a moment, the Pharisees were there as well, and he was teaching them, be faithful in that which is least, for there is something greater in life than the, the mammon and the things of this world. It is that which matters for an eternity. Matthew 16, you know the verses 24 through 27, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall what? Lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his, his soul? For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels. Then shall he reward every man according to his works. Be faithful in the least things of life. God is saying, be faithful in the least things of life. The physical things of life, they are truly the least, and the eternal are the great. But the way I am faithful in the, the little things of life will matter to my enjoyment in the things that are eternal. The eternal. Here was a man that God would use him. He said, at some point, this unscrupulous guy realized his position was about to be gone because he has wasted his master's substance. 
And he said he had the shrewdness. He wasn't right, but he was shrewd enough to realize that he needed something tomorrow. And he made an unscrupulous bargain with those that are around him to the point that even the rich man would say, well, at least you were shrewd in what you did. I don't like what you did, but you were shrewd in that you gave thought to tomorrow. Christian, have we given thought to tomorrow in every aspect of life? My finances, my time, my talents, the things that God has given me, I have the opportunity to use them in a way that trades the temporal for the eternal. And God gives us this thing as we consider it, a faithfulness to practice and a reception to consider. And then he said this, a master to serve. Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. That's kind of a final statement, isn't it? No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God is very definitive here. He said, you're serving one or the other. There's no real in between. There's a line. It's like Jesus draws this line and says, you're going to have to choose who you serve because you can't do both. Now, if we're not careful, we try to do both. But I will tell you this, you can't. When you decide to try to do both, you're really deciding not to serve the Lord. He draws a line very clearly in the ground and in the sand. He says, you're going to have to choose who you serve in this life. Either you will be mastered by the temporal or you'll be mastered by the eternal. Either you will be mastered by the Lord or you'll be mastered by the world. Choose your master. God said, in the way we live this life, we are choosing who our master will be and who we will serve. We're either going to serve the things of this world or we'll serve God. But there is no in-between with God. You must choose. No man can serve two masters. You cannot do it. You say, I think I can. God said, no, you can't. God drew his line and said, choose this day. Either you will master the temporal and live for the eternal or you will be a master of the temporal and you'll miss out on the blessings of the eternal. You, You can't divide it. God said, you must choose. He would say it again. He would say uh, in Matthew 6, 22 through 24, he would say the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. He says this, you can go tomorrow, tomorrow to work for one of two reasons. You can work to live and provide for your family so you can serve God. Or you can go to work tomorrow to live for this world. And going to the way that we go into our workplace will matter as to what happens with what we have. Does it transfer into the eternal or does it just remain in the temporal? This world is busy living for the temporal. I remember I worked with a fellow and he would work all week long. He'd say, my goal over the weekend is that I could come in tired on Monday. He didn't want to come in tired from serving the Lord. He wanted to come in tired from going out and spending the money he'd earned all the way through the week on the things of the world that would evaporate. And I will say that fella will wake up one day with nothing laid in store. Or you can go to work tomorrow and say, I've got a family to bring up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and some things to save that I can serve God with my life and spend wisely and share generously in a way that pleases God and transfer into the eternal. But you have to choose. There is no in-between with God. He said, make your choice. You'll either enjoy the least of things in the least of ways in this least of worlds 
or you will transfer into that which is greatest, the things of eternity. You will either be mastered by the things of this world or you'll be mastered by the Lord. You'll either serve this world or you'll serve me. But when it comes to the things of the temporal, you have to choose. There is no in-between with God. I cannot ride a fence with him. He said, make your choice. And he, he says here in this passage of scripture, he says, look, there is, a, uh, there is a reception to consider. We're leaving this world one day. A faithfulness to practice in the day-to-day, a master to serve. And look at this, a scoffing to ignore. Look at verse 14. And the Pharisees also were covet- who, who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided them, him. And then he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Here's these Pharisees, and they looked at him and said, you Galileans, <laughs> what world are you living in? Here's Jesus. He had just spoke to his disciples and taught them this incredible truth. And here's the religious guys. I don't know what world you're living in, but that doesn't really work. It does not really work. They were covetous. Why? What is it? What, what do they want? They wanted the things out of life. They were living for the things of the world. Even though they had the name of a religious person, they were living for the world. And they derided Jesus and the disciples and said, what world are you living in, man? <laughs> this doesn't work. Uh, this, this, manner of living for, uh, this manner of living for the Lord, he goes, what, what, are, what, are you, what, do, you, what do you know, carpenter? What do you know, fisherman? What do you guys know? <laughs> you don't know much. And they would scoff them for, for the principles being taught of the Lord that there was a reception in the future to consider. And it would be better to do without here and have there than, than, to, than to have here and do without there. They, they, they would scoff the idea of, of being a faithfulness to practice. And they would mock these ideas a little bit. And they would say, what world are in which do you live that these principles of the world really truly apply to our life? And they would deride them. And the Lord would rebuke them. Notice what he would say in this verse. He would say in verse 15, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. You're living in this world, but God knoweth your hearts. And then look at this statement. This is a condemning statement. For that which is highly esteemed among men is what? An abomination in the sight of God. Well, we're awful condemning of things that are abomination in our sight. We live in a world that's twisting things upside down, don't they? We're bothered by what they're doing with marriage and redefining it, trying to redefine it. You can't redefine what God has already defined, but trying. Uh, Men with men, women with women, and an abomination that turns our gut and turns our stomach. And we remember how God said that's an abomination. Whoa. Whoa. What did he just say? That derision that, you, that they had towards the things of God, he said, now that is an abomination in my sight. It turns my stomach when my people trade the eternal for the temporal. It turns my stomach. I bought your life and purchased you with my precious blood. I've given you a home in heaven. And he said, They would deride him. What is this reception to consider? What is this faithfulness to practice? What is this master to serve? And they would deride him. And the Lord would rebuke them. And I will tell you, that derision still happens in our world, doesn't it? 
What are you talking about? Living for the Lord and looking towards an eternity and doing without here that you might lay in store in glory and living for the things that matter for an eternity. And they would look and say, what world are you living in, fellas? The one that matters for all of eternity, that one. The one that will not fail. The one that will go on and on and on and on. And the Lord would look at the disciples, ignore these fellas. <laughs> Bad trade. As a matter of fact, that bothers me a lot. It bothers me a lot. Remember when you look at this, this servant, this, this wasteful steward, this unjust servant steward, and you look at his life, whose money was he wasting in the first place? His master's. It wasn't his. You know, the things that we've received in this life, they're not ours in the first place. God has enabled us. Deuteronomy, the ability to get wealth, to labor, to serve with our life, the health that he's given us, the country in which we live, and the benefits we've received, every good gift we've received at the hand of a gracious God. And he would say, I do want you to work hard. Christians should be known for a testimony of hardworking, honest people. Amen. Uh, we don't need, I, these prosperity preachers bother me greatly. They would be better off preaching, go out and work hard uh, than, than give me so much. I'll give you a prayer, Hank, and you'll be a millionaire the next turn around. That is not the way God works. Go work hard. Save wisely. A prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. Spend in a way that lays in store for in glory and certainly share generously. And as you're living those principles out in your life, consider these things. There is a reception to consider one day. The way you live in this world, you lay in store in glory. <laughs> consider that reception. What is waiting for you when you arrive? <laughs> Be faithful in this practice of, of recognizing this. These things of the world are the least things of life and the eternal things are the great things of life. The greatest thing uh, to happen in a few weeks will be a missions conference as we consider the eternal things, the greatest things out of this life. Those that day we'll be thinking on things and souls that will matter for all of time. All of time. I promise you there'll be nothing greater going on in Columbus than missions conference that week. I don't care who comes to town and who visits it, but if you want to know something that'll matter for an eternity, that will be it. Nothing greater. Consider the faithful practice. Consider a master to serve. Whom I serve is seen in how I handle the things of this life. And friend, there's a scoffing to just ignore it. And I, I know it's, it's not the way the world's economy works. It is the way God's economy works. And it is the way God works among his people. And it is the way that matters for an eternity. And God gives us a call. Ignore that scoffing because that is an abomination in my sight. It turns my stomach like a lot of sins that we look at in our lives. Well, that's filthy. We see it in the world. That's filthy and ugly. And yet this one we might sometimes find right here in our own life. And it turns God's stomach the way a lot of the moral failings in our society turn his stomach. So don't think more highly of yourself than he ought, as the book of Romans tells us. It turns the stomach of God.
And he says, look to eternal. This unjust steward had some lessons to teach the faithful Christian. <laughs> look ahead. Look ahead, my friend. Look forward. This fellow at least looked to tomorrow. <laughs> he didn't want to work hard. That didn't speak of, highly of him. He didn't want to dig. And to beg, he was ashamed. <laughs> he didn't want to sweat and he didn't want to kneel. He just wanted things in his life, right? <laughs> and God is concerned about the way we labor and accrue our money. But he did look ahead a little bit. And Christian, look ahead in your Christian life. Look beyond today. Look beyond tomorrow. Look beyond next week. And look into eternity. And look at the things that God has given you and ask yourself this question. How do I transfer this that God has entrusted me into something that matters for eternity? We should look at every temporal thing that we have in life and say, how do I take this and transfer it into eternity? You know, I even think of that in terms of relaxation. I enjoy rest and relaxation. And friend, we need it. The Lord himself departed into a desert place, didn't he? To rest up. But you know, rest can be either rest to go and serve or rest to waste. Right? Just resting to waste. Just resting and just doing stuff to do stuff in a way that doesn't matter for an eternity. Or you can go rest up so you can serve God. I can look at what God has given me, the blessings of life, and I can use them for a way that matters for an eternity, or I can use them in a way that matters for the temporal. But God said, he that is faithful in that which is least, will be faithful in that which is much. If you want the great things of life, then steward faithfully the least things, the temporal things of life. Because there are greater riches than any riches you have here. These things will fade away. Even this earth will melt with a fervent heat. I enjoy, you know, my favorite vacation is the ones where you go and see an, a park or something of that. You ever enjoy in some of those national parks? There's incredible beauty in this world that God has made, isn't it? So I enjoy seeing it. God thinks it's so beautiful. He's going to melt it with a fervent heat. God thinks it's so valuable. He's going to melt it with a fervent heat one day. God thinks all the things that we possess in this world are so incredibly valuable, he's going to burn them off one day and start all over again because it's so marred by sin. Don't, don't spend your life on things God is going to burn up. Don't waste your life on things that God intends to put a match to. But rather spend your life on things that God said, this will matter for an eternity. Use the things of this life. The funds that God gives you the talents that God gives you, the rest that God gives you, and look at them all and say, how do I translate this into eternity? And here's how he does it. He says, keep this in mind. There is a reception to consider. What you use will matter whether it's there or not. There's a faithfulness to practice in your life. To be faithful in the least things of life in the way that you use them so that they are laid in store and glory. And there is a master to serve how we handle these least things of life reveals in truth who we serve. I will tell you this. Who you serve won't be seen in how you sing today. It will be seen in how you live tomorrow. It will be seen in how you live tomorrow. It is easier to come in here and sing a song tonight than it will be to practice these principles this week. 
I'm not saying this is not worshipful to God. Don't get me wrong. I think it is. But I'm telling you this. You can do this and not what's happened this week and not really be serving God. And mastered by the world and the world our master. Rather than mastered by the Lord and the Lord our master. And then he, he would say this. Ignore the scoffers that are caught up with this world. And there are many. There are many. I've read some, some financial books and they always tell you, don't worry about giving to the Lord or giving to charities until you put everything else in order. And I scratch my head a little bit. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What a, hold up. Ignore the scoffer. Follow the Savior. Because that is where we find this. That is where I transfer everything that I have that is temporal into eternity. The way you transfer your Monday into eternity is the way the master in which you serve. The way you transfer your temporary funds into eternity is the way you use them for his honor and glory. The way you spend your time, your talents, is the way that we consider that reception one day, the way I live down here, as to whether I have anything waiting for me up there when I walk into his presence. God would speak over and over and over again on all these things, not, not because he needs what I have. If you ever consider this, friend, God doesn't need the finances that we have. He doesn't need them. Friend, he created anything that's down here valuable anyway. He could make some more. All right, he doesn't need it, but he wants you and I. He wants you and I, and he knows us. Whether he has us or not is based upon how we use what is here. And I would say, friend, that he is worthy of having our full attention and worship and service in our life. And when I walk into his presence, I, I hope that there will be something waiting for me. I already know. I have not always used everything wisely. Anybody else there? But striving to use wisely what he's entrusted me that I might receive it at that judgment day and then take it and lay it at the feet of the one who gave all for me and say, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for this practical book, this scripture that you give us, this teachings of the temporal and what I know in a world that's filled with temporal and time and living in this world, it's sometimes very easy, Lord, to get lost in it, to get caught up with it. And uh, Lord, it's not that we don't need the temporal things in this life. You, you know that we need it as, as, uh, even more than we do. But you do want it to use it wisely in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. Lord, I, I pray that as you have spoken to our heart tonight, we would respond. Maybe it's just an awareness today as we walk out of here and walk into our Monday the way we spend tomorrow, the way we spend what you've given to us will matter for an eternity. And we'd be faithful in these practices and we'd look towards the future. We'd ignore the scoffers of life and we would just faithfully follow our Savior. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this question. First of all, are you saved? I know it's not really a salvation message that I preach, but how many of you can say, Preacher, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I know the Lord is my Savior. That's something settled for me. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? The preacher, I know it. Thank you. you. May put your hands down. Is there anybody say, Preacher, I'm unsure of that. I'm unsettled as to that, but I'd like to take care of that this evening. Is there anybody that way? Let me ask you this then. How many of you say, Preacher, I, the Lord has spoken to my heart. Maybe just a reminder in our life. Sometimes we, life catches up with us and we let these things fade into the background a little bit and maybe God refocus you on what matters for an eternity. And 
But you say, hey, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. Would you just raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play? As God has spoken to your heart, the invitation is given and do business with the Lord. And maybe it's just to recommit your time to him or your talents to him or whatever it is. And just say, Lord, I want you to know you have me. But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this evening. (laughs) 